Okay. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Pine Cones and Moonstones, where science, witchcraft, and history combine. I'm Cassie. And I'm Desiree. And this week, we are doing Deities of the Month. Surprise edition, kind of. <laughs> Half surprise. <laughs> Half surprise. Um, so, first, we did, we pulled a little affirmation card, because we're trying to add random stuff to make people happy into these because it's social distance time and everyone is freaking out. Uh, also, if you're not essential, stay home. <laughs> uh, so this one is, I am connected, and it says, I have more in common with others than I realize. I seek commonality with people rather than focusing on outward differences. I am connected. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> We're connected from far away. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine how people during the plague felt when this shit happened and they didn't have like phones and stuff to call? My oldest just had to do a honor social study assignment on the plague. Oh, where you have to like take all this <laughs> evidence and try to figure out where it was coming from. And she was like, this is really gross. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I can. I can see it's similar in some ways. The plague seems to have, like, more outward appearances of something being wrong, definitely. Yeah, it's... Easier to spot someone who's got a little bit of plague happening. Depends on if you have bubonic or pneumonic. That's true. Yeah, I was thinking of bubonic, so... Yeah. Pneumonic kind of sounds a lot like a coronavirus, but, uh... Anyways, um... Do you want to go first with your deities, or do you want to do the dudes first and then the ladies? We could do dudes first and then ladies. Okay. We spoiled our surprise. <laughs> dudes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so originally we were going to pick um, a male or female deity from Africa and then a male or female deity from Asia and surprise each other with who they were. And then we were like, what if we pick the same dude? <laughs> So we told each other who the dudes are, but and we just did the countries, I think, for the other ones. So it should be good. Um, so you want to go first? Or you want me to? <laughs> uh, I don't care. Why don't you go first? We'll start you off. Okay. So the dude I picked is actually he's half mythical like legend um kind of god king status and the other half he was actually a real person which is kind of fun it's a little arthurian in my brain so i liked it but also uh i took a class in undergrad where i had to read the entire um oral history that's been collected of him for like the canon legend so it's it's a fun one uh so i picked sunjata who uh, is known as the founder of the Mali Empire. Uh, the real person, Sunjata, uh, his name means Lion Prince, uh, lived from 1217 to probably 1255 um, and was the king of Mali for uh, the last 20 years of that. Um, he was born the first son of a second wife for his father, um, and he was crippled. So, uh, at first it was thought he wasn't going to inherit, um, but another kingdom came in and basically took control. Um, the tribe is called the Sosos, uh, and 
Sundrata's what from the... What country is this in? Mali. Well, broadly Western Africa. Okay. But it is the founding narrative for the, con- the modern-day country of Mali also. But it's the... 1200s empire of Mali, which is a little bit broader than the like political boundaries today. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so he, the name Mali actually comes from his tribe because he was in the Malinke tribe. And so you get Mali from the first couple letters of that. But uh, basically he gets sent into exile because the Sosos come in and take over. Uh, and that's where he starts being able to gain strength and use his legs um, around the age of seven. So a lot of theories are that maybe he had rickets or polio um, or a earlier iteration of similar types of disease to those in the 1200s. Um, and that as he got older, he got access to more uh, resources, basically, and that's how his muscles developed. Um rather than he was paralyzed or something like that. Uh, But he ends up being, like, the most feared warrior in Western Africa and comes back and pretty much takes over Mali and the entire Soso kingdom and establishes the Mali Empire. Um, Some of the, the mythological things that he is usually uh, credited with are... um, He's the hungering lion um, because the, a lion was the symbol of his clan and he ends up, like, defeating one as a child. Um, yeah, like, it was Did rumored. hungering or hungering lion? Hungering. So he like, was hungry. Yeah, he was hungry to prove himself, usually is how the, the narrative yeah. goes. That's no fun. Yeah. Um... But his his immediate disadvantage was that he couldn't walk, and traditionally they link this back to his mom being uh, a hunchback in some of the versions. Um, but his uh, because he was um, already crippled that way as a tiny kid, he was spared when the Sosos took over because they didn't think he could do anything. <laughs> um, yeah. Basically, this happened at the same time as the uh, Ghanaian Empire was collapsing on the Niger River. So it's like Ghana, Mali, all of the broadly West African, like right in the center of that is where most of this is happening Um, because there's a lot of gold deposits. So uh, merchants from north of the Sahara were like coming down to trade with them for it. Uh, Let's see. He's... um, credited with establishing uh, the first code of government that also has rules for political and regular social behavior. So it's not just like considering what you can do at court. It's like behavior and laws for everyone. Uh, He created a great assembly of tribal chiefs um, and they basically named him the Supreme Monarch. Um, He's now usually worshipped as a fertility god, but also uh, strongly linked to the uh, the emperor in tarot. Okay. Which, that fits, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was... Basically, we have uh, more records of him as a real person than any other 
um, of the like God King type figures in this area because he was trading with Ghana, the Berbers and um, Egypt. So he actually had contact with Europeans at the time, which was pretty big. Um, he's also a lot of times incorporated into Islam as like a, uh, he was one of the first true Muslims in the area is what they try to claim when, uh, they're linking Islam back to the history of the region. Um, but Islam was present long before he was born in that area of Africa, so it's kind of iffy. Um, his death is also really uncertain, and there are a ton of uh, death tales about him. So he either got shot by an arrow wound in battle, uh, he drowned in a river, or he was knocked off his horse uh, dodging an arrow, and that's how he drowned in the river. So there's like a combination of the two. His tomb um, is also not known because they traditionally didn't reveal where kings were buried. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's kind of fun. But he's credited with, uh, he and his uh, son and nephew are credited with like the broader spread of Islam into the region in general too. That's cool. So kind of fun. Yeah. So I like that he was linked back to the emperor sort of vibe for tarot. Oh, God, I just said it. Vibe. Now my kids <laughs> saying it for everything. Yeah. Well, it's because um, the Berbers had a lot of contact with um, mysticism in that period, like especially under Charlemagne, like mysticism went crazy. Um, and so you get chess being introduced to Europe at the same time as like European games are being introduced to Africa. And so uh, they took a lot of traditional figures, not necessarily gods because like gods and goddesses, because uh, they were also simultaneously trying to like wipe out traditional religion. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially traditional, like mythic figures like this, they would connect to different cards to kind of basically almost like a cultural trade-off, which is mm. kind of fun. I yep. like that one. I've never heard of him. Sanjata? Mm-mm. He's fun. He was the, the... To tell you a little bit about just how racist learning about history in Africa is, uh, when you sign up for classes in most history departments, even if they have a strong African history contingent, you have things like uh, European history, one, two, and three, which is usually, like, no more than 2,000 to 3,000 years together. Um, Then you have uh, the Crusades into two or three classes, just the medieval period into two or three classes, and then modern Europe. For African history, you usually have African history one, which encompasses Australopiths through 1800, and then you have African history since 1800, and it's everything that's ever happened in Africa since 1800. That's that's a lot of things <laughs> to cover in such a short period. Very much. Uh, so I learned about him in African History 1 um, because he the professor tried to pick uh, like a broad range of traditional narratives for us to read, which is pretty cool. So most of them are based on oral histories instead of actual historic documents, which is always nice when you're an anthropologist taking a history class. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so that's my dude. Nope, sorry. There's a <laughs> wee dog outside. I was enjoying that. Okay. Um, I picked Anansi because I love Neil Gaiman, and he wrote a book called Anansi that I haven't finished yet. The Anansi Boys? Yeah. He also has Anansi's in American Gods, and is actually in another short story that I can't remember the name of, but he pops up in a, quite a few of his uh, stories and books. But hang on a sec. Okay. He pops up everywhere. Yeah, and I <laughs> uh, actually Marley is the one who told me I should pick this one because she read a traditional uh, like folk kids story with him. One about sharing food and how he got caught. I don't remember exactly what happened, but that was really why I picked him. Um, It appears that most of the stories about him started in Ghana, which is funny that you picked someplace right next to Ghana. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Most of his folklore sort of moved to the Caribbean, Jamaica, those kind of places, along with slavery, unfortunately. Um. And he's pretty big in a lot of the oral tales that slaves would tell to each other. And it sort of became a way for them to uh, hide messages of, like, resistance in the tales they would tell of Anansi. According to this other thing that I... Why is it clear? I can't see ones that are clear. Anyway, sorry. Child of Mother Earth, Asasaya... We're going to pretend like that's how I say it. And Father Sky Nyame. Um, he was supposed to be sort of the intermediary between Father Sky and the people who lived in Ghana. Okay. Uh, not a very good one, though. So, like, <laughs> stories you'll hear are about him trying to ask his father for things for the people. And the other half of them are about him asking for things that he wants for himself, and then deciding he doesn't like it as much as he thought he did, and then giving it to people. So he's not as nice as all the stories kind of make him seem. He's more of a trickster god, but his biggest role in the stories is as a storyteller, because for them, uh, according to this, stories are the same thing as wisdom. That's how you pass down your lessons and your stories. So when he, the word story and wisdom is used interchangeably in a lot of the, um, a lot of the written stories that I'm finding. So like, there's a, there's a big story about that I, see, I didn't put this in order. Cassie, why don't you make me do things in order? Because I don't know how you're taking notes. I'm not there. <laughs> Typing shit. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Oh, I don't know what I did. With- oh, the best example of Anansi bringing wisdom or stories to people is summarized as this. Nyame had all the stories of the world in a box locked away. Anansi asked for it to be shared, and Nyame was so impressed that he had the balls to ask him for something that he decided to set him four impossible tasks, and if he could complete them, he would oh, give him a box uh, in the form of capturing four impossible animals. Yep. So Anansi uses all of his weird tricks, which is like, one of them was like he, it's a giant snake and he lays a stick down and he tries to get the snake to like lay down next to it to compare which is longer. Oh yeah. And then he's like, but it won't work unless I tie your tail on this stick. And then somehow he ends up tying the snake to the stick and takes him to his dad. So 
four other animals he does that with. And then, so his dad has no choice but to give him the box. And at first, Anansi doesn't want to share what's in the box. He wants to keep all the wisdom for himself. And so he makes a plan to take the box, which they also interchange cauldron and box quite a bit in here. I think it's just supposed to be some sort of container that has all the stories and wisdom in it. So he tries to carry it on his back and climb up um, like a tree or something. And his son followed him and was watching him from the woods. And he got so frustrated watching his dad continually like dropping this cauldron full of stuff that he finally jumps out and is like, why don't you use some vines to tie that on yourself so that you can <laughs> drop it anymore? And then his dad was like, oh, man, my kid just told me some really smart stuff and he didn't have any of this wisdom in the box. So I guess I'm going to share it because it makes more sense to share wisdom with people. The end. That was his whole idea. I thought it was interesting. So it's really like grudgingly that he delivers all of this wisdom to people. Um, I feel that on an emotional level. (laughs) (laughs) What did I say? Um, some stories have him as the creator of the sun and the moon but I couldn't find like exactly which what those stories were a lot of these are oral tales and then they're they were saying that he (laughs) he is a spider but he's also a man who is part spider so sometimes he'll be like a spider body with a man face which is fucking creepy or like a spider with, you know, like, hands or something. So, basically, he can always tell that he looks like a spider. He's never fully human. He still yeah. very much has spider uh, parts, which makes him Ugh. super creepy. Uh, his name translated uh, sometimes means great designer or infinite inventor. So, it's, like, almost like a name for God or, like, a great you know, someone who created everything were sort of interchangeable with the name Anansi, which is not obviously the correct pronunciation. That's like the evolved pronunciation. And then for when the stories finally got brought to like the South here in America, they call him Aunt Nancy. Oh, yeah. And then uh, let's see. A lot of that happens because they um, they would get punished for talking about their gods. Yeah, I wrote, I have a quote here, but I didn't write the stupid, it was from an old book from the 1900s of somebody who was writing down um, as many oral tales as they could from, like, the Caribbean slaves who came, like, to America after the Caribbean. Salvage ethnography. It says, in the Caribbean version, as well as in the South, it is often celebrated as a symbol of slavery and resistance, as well as survival. Anansi is able to turn the table on his powerful oppressors using his cunning and trickery, a model of behavior utilized by the slaves to gain the upper hand within the confines of the plantation power structure. Anansi is also believed to have played a multifunctional role in slaves' lives, as well as inspiring strategies of resistance, the tales enabled slaves to establish a sense of continuity with their African past and offered them the means to transform and assert their identity within the boundaries of captivity, which is basically what you were saying. Yeah. Uh, The stories of Anandi became such a prominent and familiar part of Ashanti oral culture that the word uh, Anansisam means spider tales, and it came to embrace all kinds of fables. So 
they would start calling any sort of fable they were telling a spider tale, basically. Which I thought was interesting. Um, do, 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 do. So I have some notes on trying to summon a Nanzi, which I have never done. <laughs> have plans to, is that um, one of the biggest notes I found was that he doesn't tolerate boredom. So if you were going to summon him, which should be done with treats, smokes, and liquor, you need to make sure whatever you're telling him can hold his attention or he'll leave. That's basically what they said. So I thought it was interesting they even had little notes. You want to summon this guy? Leave out some cigarettes. Is he? I feel like he'd be considered a closed system, though. What do you mean? Uh, like if you're not African, you probably shouldn't be summoning him. They, um, I saw notes about him, well, probably not, no. Uh, they use him, some in voodoo. Then definitely closed system. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought it was interesting because it's not like they would be summoning him to really ask for anything. It's more like they would be summoning him to swap stories. Oh, okay, so instead of like a, uh, what is the word? He's not like an Orisha. He's like a... Yeah. No, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure he was a separate thing. And you're not really you're not really getting anything from him on purpose. Like, most of the stuff he wants to give you is like, well, I don't want this anymore. I guess you can have it. Interesting. Yeah. So he's... I don't know. I thought he was a fun... I want to finish reading that book now, but um, I just thought it was funny that every time he'd finally get something, he'd be like, oh, this is better if I just give it to you guys anyway. <laughs> I'm with it. So that was a Nanzi. Yay. I like him. He's always funny in, in like, stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's, like, the most sarcastic person ever. It's great. He was fun in American Gods. Have you read that? Uh, a very long time ago. I want to reread it and then watch the whole thing. Probably oh. while in quarantine. <laughs> I didn't finish the show. It was okay, but uh, the book I thought was better. The, um... The company doing the show fired Orlando Jones, who was the guy who played Anansi. Um, and there was a bunch of really weird, like, they fired all of the actors of color because they would have had to pay them more Ugh, in the that's... third season. And then the company went bankrupt. Like, it, it was a whole mess. So I don't think there's going to be any more of it. I bet um, if you listened to the Audible version, it would be almost as good. Does he read it? Does Neil Gaiman read it? I believe so. I don't have it, but now I'm going to look it up because uh, I love that story and I I think that he would do his own book really good, obviously. He reads um, Norse mythology and we discovered that uh, Buttercup is the only dog I've ever seen that absolutely fucking hates the car. Like, hates it. Pants the whole time, freaks out, growls, does not want to be in it. Uh-huh. Hates it. Uh, and on the trip out here, she had to be in it for four days. Oh. Because we had to move from Alabama to Nevada. <laughs> it's like torture. Yeah. We discovered she will only calm down and go to sleep and just chill in the car when two voices are happening. Anthony Bourdain and Neil Gaiman. <laughs> she likes those those uh, smoke-addled, deep masculine voices. Yeah, well, I think we figured out that we think she likes voices that sound like Mark's, but with a different accent. Oh, okay. Because he's got a really, really deep voice. Uh, but neither of them are very Southern, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, 
so it sounds very different. So we think that's why she finally, like, calmed down. But for the however many hours Kitchen Confidential was and how, uh, like, four or five hours of Norse mythology, she was calm. So we listened to Norse mythology, like, four times just to get her to calm down. I That's on my list. I really wanted to read that one. It's really good on Audible. Is it? I might use one of my last credits on that one then, because I love, I love everything he writes. Now I'm just fangirling. And I love his <laughs> wife, so. Eh. Love that whole thing. I got to meet him once. You got to meet her? Or him? Him. Oh. Him. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, we, uh, he wrote Stardust, and the guy who illustrated Stardust, Charles Vest, is from my hometown. So, uh, they did a fairy renaissance fair at the art museum and did the full-size paintings of all of the shots from the graphic novel version of Stardust. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and so I got to meet Charles and uh, Neil Gaiman because we were volunteering with the Red Cross giving out water. (laughs) So I gave them water, kept them hydrated. It was fun. You're a lifesaver. One dude did pass out a peach stroke because he would not take water. (laughs) Okay, you can go next with the goddess, but I have to pee. So, it's going to be a surprise to me when I hop back in. (laughs) You just keep going, and I'm going to guess who it is, okay? Okay. Okay, go. Wait, I'm going to wait until you're out of the room to say the name. Okay, I think that was a door. I'm going to go with it. Uh, so the one I picked is, I'm going to butcher the translation, and I'm sorry, and the pronunciation, but uh, Nang Kwok, which is um, a spirit or household divinity in Thai folklore. She's also considered to be a version of the Hindu goddess Lakshmi, which I think is kind of cool. Um, she brings good fortune, prosperity, um, attracts customers to businesses, and uh, is often found among merchants. Uh, so she's dressed in red tie-style clothing in most of her, like, paintings of her. And uh, she's thought of as an incarnation of uh, May Posop, the Thai rice goddess. So she's usually represented as a uh, beautiful woman wearing a traditional red dress. Um Okay. Not always red, but sometimes uh, fashioned in the Thai style. So I have a Thai goddess oh. who is the uh, Thai version of Lakshmi. Have you ever heard of anyone like that? Or do you want me to tell you the name? Layla was telling me there was a Thai goddess she wanted me to pick. But I wanted her to talk to her grandma first. I don't know the name. Oh, okay. This one is... His wife. It's Who? She wanted me to do Hanuman's wife, and I don't remember her name. I almost picked her. Uh, she's the mermaid. Uh, or no, not his wife. That's just the girl that tricks him. Um, uh, what was it? Time mermaid. I almost, like I had her. Suvana Matcha. Yeah. Yeah, I almost picked her. <laughs> I almost did too. Layla it's has cool. um at her dad's house. She has all sorts of stuff from like, depictions of Hanuman with his wife. I think he had more than one wife, though. Mm-hmm. And Hanuman's really big over there. Like, her dad has a big tattoo of Hanuman. And they also have one of the leaves from the tree, you know, that Buddha sat against for his big revelation. 
So it's an actual tree, and every time a leaf falls off, like if it falls in front of you, you get to keep it. But they'll paint it gold, and then they frame it. And so, like, whoever has one is considered super lucky. Hmm. They actually have one. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, this is Nang Kwok. Um, so she's a, a household spirit or goddess uh, for Thai folklore. But she's also linked to uh, Lakshmi. And she's an incarnation of the Thai rice goddess Mei Po Sop. Hmm. Um, she's usually the one. She's like. Depicted as a beautiful lady, like, sitting with her legs under her. Kind of, like, not cross-legged, but, like, on your knees almost. Yeah. With That's a red dress. Men sit in temples. Women can't yeah. sit on their knees. They have to sit with their legs to the side. Yeah. Um, and then her right hand is usually raised um, in the Thai way of beckoning a customer. Because she's a goddess of merchants. Hmm. A lot of times. Um, and she'll have the... Uh, palm of her hand curved and pointing up. I don't know why I'm doing that. Nobody can see me. <laughs> uh, her left hand is usually resting on her side or holding a bag full of gold near her lap. Um, let's see. She's benevolent. Uh, she's supposed to bring you luck, um, especially money. Um, she's the patron deity of all merchants and salesmen, and she's seen in almost every business establishment in Thailand somewhere. Uh, hanging up inside. Um, people like to have a figurine or a cloth poster of her. Um, and it's often placed by the the family shrine. Um, some people also wear amulets of her. Um, with the, But you have to wear them around your neck. You can't wear them as a bracelet. Um, but it's a way that uh, people used to carry stuff when they wanted to sell things. They would, like, wear all of their necklaces. Hmm. So uh, as we've moved into, like, actual stores instead of traveling salespeople now, uh, they start where the shopkeepers will wear the amulets around their necks, apparently. Um, she's more of a figure of, like, popular folklore, and she's a lot more common in... Um, rural settings than she is in a lot of the cities which would make sense um but there are a lot of buddhist legends that try to incorporate her into buddhism which is kind of fun i think Mm -hmm. um so there's a brahmin trading family legend where they uh call on her there's a ramakian epic legend that presents her as the woman who defended the kingdom from uh a demon. Um, and then... Uh, for working with her, they suggest um, putting out money on your family shrine or altar. Um, and certain prayers in a language I cannot pronounce. Uh, in a Buddhist temple, you can do specific prayers for her. I like it. Yeah. Layla, she might have um, pictures. She So whenever Layla goes to the temple and she gets something from the monks, like a necklace or a bracelet, sometimes you'll see little white bracelets they have tied around their wrist. They're not allowed to take them off until they fall off. And it's the same thing with the necklaces that they get. So, like, Layla has a, right now, I think it's a gold one, and then in the inside is this little glass 
like capsule and then inside of that is a little tiny gold buddha which looks different than the big happy fat buddha there's two different kinds of buddhas so there's the big happy fat one which you see most time in like china like chinese Mm -hmm. buddhism and then there's thai buddhism which is where he's like a normal looking person with kind of a tall pointy hat Hmm. i'll have to find she's i don't think i've seen tall pointy hat one really in the little fat one I think we're biased because we see him. I mean, Layla's always bringing stuff home like that. But, um, yeah, so he's not fat in in this version of Buddhism. He's, like, tall. His ears are normal. He's got, like, a pointed hat. Um, they'll, and he's, like, sitting cross-legged always. With oh. the, and the monks normally will sit like him in the temples just all the time. Which I've been to a few of those, and they're very pretty to sit in and listen to, but oh my god, your legs go numb after like 20 minutes, and you can't move because it's rude. It was terrible. It wasn't terrible, but I was ill-equipped to deal with the... (laughs) (laughs) I went to Catholic Church. They have benches, man. Yeah, we had pews at the Church of Christ. You guys did genoflecting, though. We don't do that either. So we're just, you know... It was Baptist, Catholic. I've been to all those churches. The Buddhist temple was a fun change when I did go. Layla will still go because she actually, well, not this last summer, but she does Thai dancing. So oh, the monks will send over from a teacher from Thailand and they'll come and try to train the girls um, how to actually do Thai dancing, which is really cool looking. But Layla has to like do these things where she tries to bend her fingers back to her wrist. You have uh, to constantly yeah. do that. And the teachers will sit there and bend their joints and stuff because when they're doing these dances it, their hands almost look like they're out of joint how far back as they put their hands and the girls have to wear all this crazy gold stuff when they're dancing it's really cool looking i'll have to see if i can find the video layla did uh, a cultural presentation and she did a cool little tie dance with the full oh, outfit yeah. it's like a huge headdress too it's super heavy it was intense anyway Sorry, I'll have to <laughs> for this one. She'll get excited that you picked a Thai one. Yeah, I was I was trying to pick um because you might have seen him post in the um the group on Facebook, but my friend Akshay is Hindu, and uh, I was telling him that one of my favorite goddesses is Adargadis, the first mermaid, the Syrian mm-hmm. goddess, and he was like, "Oh, she's in Hindu too," and I was like, "What?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so then I went down a rabbit hole trying to find it, uh, but it is literally just Atargatis instead of making a Hindu version because uh, Suvrana Matcha is a mermaid also, but it's different. Different. Um, then Atargatis or the two uh, older deities they think kind of fused into her. Um so I was like, that's not really what I wanted to do. So I'm going to pick a different one. <laughs> I went with Ty. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to talk to her about it. She'll have a lot more um, insight into the gods and goddesses. Because I can't, like their names, she could probably pronounce them pronounce. too. I this was the think. easiest one to pronounce, which I realize my privilege is showing there. But also I'm a grad student and I have three papers due this week. So you don't have to learn how to pronounce every Thai goddess's name, but <laughs> that would be a fun episode one time just to sort of dive into that. It's interesting. That ver- two different versions of Buddhism. Are Aren't there in- like three now too? Cause you have like 
uh, Indian Buddhism, Chinese Buddhism, and then broadly Asian Buddhism or Southeast Asian, maybe? Probably. I know there's at least two. There's I know that the biggest, like, Chinese Buddhism is not the same as Thai Buddhism. But Thai Buddhism probably includes, like, Sri Lanka and the surrounding yeah. small countries that are always changing. Because a lot of the a lot of the deities are like interchangeable versions. Mm-hmm. So like this one is a version of Lakshmi, um, and they have a couple that reverse that. So like some of the Thai gods and goddesses were incorporated into Hindu, and they get a name change, um, which is always fun. I love fluidity and like worship of mm-hmm. like ancient tradition types of deals. All right, who is yours? I gotta pull up the thingy. Okay, so I picked China, uh, and I picked the basically the queen mother of the Chinese sort of mythology. And when originally when I read the name, I was like, "Oh, this is not going to be hard at all." It's X I W A N G M U. It's not pronounced like that, which threw me off. I had to listen to like four different YouTube videos in Chinese about the mythology to get the pronunciation. It's Seiwamu or Seiwamu, depending on which guy I'm listening to. Okay. But she is like the oldest, uh, basically goddess. And originally when she started out in the mythology, she was actually a demon. And she was the one who was responsible for all of the earthquakes, all the tsunamis, like every bad thing that happened, they associated with coming from her, basically. Um, Somewhere, somehow or another, according to them, she repented her evil ways and became an enlightened goddess. Just like, I'm done doing that shit. Now I'm now I'm great. You guys love me. Uh, so she okay. ditched her demon lover, whose name was Dong Wangong, which is really fun. My autocorrect doesn't like that word. I bet it and doesn't. <laughs> <what> the- <laughs> so when, when she was the demon still doing evil, she had split all of the land with her demon lover, uh, east and west. And then okay. once she became more popular than him was when she decided to renounce her demonness and became mostly human. Uh, in which, after that, she married the Jade Emperor, who is, like, their their big male deity, basically. Um, she she uh, became mostly, like, a human woman, but she still kept her tiger teeth and her leopard tail. And oh. she couldn't tame her crazy hair, so she just wears, in most pictures, she's wearing a giant headdress to cover the hair. But she still, it's, like, it's so crazy they can't do anything with it. <laughs> which I thought I got to find a picture and post it, but I, um, I feel that on a multiple emotional level. <laughs> yeah. She, she was really fun to read about how she just one day decided oh, I'm done being a demon. I'm gonna be cool now. Um, she married the Jade emperor. And so in later stories, you'll see she's the goddess that tends to the peaches of immortality in the, the big immortal palace gardens. And okay. so she can give those pe- the peaches to people or she keeps giving them every 3000 years. She gives them to uh, the other gods and goddesses to ensure that they stay immortal, basically. Oh. So she, her and the Jade Emperor sort of represent that strong yin and yang uh, energy that they're that's really big, like over there. She is the, the female yin energy, I believe, is what they said. 
And then they found a 3rd century AD scroll supposedly having Sewamu describing herself, in quotes, with tigers and leopards I form a pride, together with crows and magpies I share the same dwelling place. So when she's not tending the garden, she's hanging out in the mountains with uh, crows, magpies, leopards, tigers, and then she's always... Uh, depicted with these three green birds that always gathered all of her food for her. Okay. So she'd send them out and they'd bring her back food. So uh, she's you'll... basically the the trope of the uh, woman in the woods with all the corvids. Kind of, yeah. Very, <laughs> like, anything wild is associated with her. You'll also see her with a three-footed crow, a nine-tailed fox. Um, you'll see her depicted with a rabbit in the moon which is actually another goddess story. I don't remember who it is, but it's some goddess who steals something from her husband and then she gets scared, and so she runs away to the moon and becomes a rabbit. Yeah. So that's, I don't remember who that is, but I know the story. Well, she was friends with this goddess, so they'll, they'll always depict the rabbit in the moon along with her. And then it says phoenixes and Keelan, which I think is some sort of, like, chimerical creature I couldn't it it looked like a fish lion I don't know but with hooves all right (laughs) she's known for being unpredictable and being the embodiment of female yin energy which I already said now I'm just repeating myself she was the only deity with the ability to talk directly to humans and she used peach trees as an intermediary between heaven and earth. So peach trees are supposed to be super important and special. But peaches are gross, so I'm just going to throw that there. I'm a terrible person from the South. I do not peach or pecan. I like when it's because I have nut allergies. Oh, so I, like like, I like fake peach flavoring. I hate real peaches. I like the peachy syrup that happens when you make a cobbler, but I don't want the chunks of fruit in it. I just I want agree the bread percent. and, like, the syrupy stuff and no actual peaches. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that, yeah. I think peaches <laughs> taste like butts. Anyway, she, um, in, for all the emperors, it was said that she would be the one to speak directly to them, and every new emperor would, would get a message from her basically trying to um, teach them the secrets of immortality but all of them always failed because they remained mortal, basically. So when a new emperor was, I don't know, emperorized, they would say, oh, I got this message from Sewamu, and she said, da-da-da, and then he'll never be able to do it because they always die, basically. Oh, damn. And then there is a star festival where people will write their wishes on papers and hang them on trees Hmm. for her, I guess, She's just sort of like the everyday for everything sort of goddess. And you can give her offerings of melons, pomegranate, incense, candles. But the um, I know a lot of the like altars, I know like especially with Layla's other side of the family, their altars are all sort of put together. So like your family altar and your just normal everyday offering altar are all kind of the same thing. And you just continually add stuff to it, like new food each day, new incense each day, new whatever else you want to add on there every day. So I don't know if this is like something you add to your home altar daily or if it's only during that festival. 
But seeing as how I'm not Chinese, I don't think I'll ever be summoning her. But she sounded really cool. I don't know. <laughs> yep, that's... Done Yay! Done. Hey, <laughs> oh, all right. So what do we want to do next episode? Or we had ideas, right, from the... Oh, uh, people sent messages about stuff. Some of them I noticed, I was like, we already did that. But I realized people are just getting tagged in things. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's see. I saw... This person just said which ones they liked. Herbalism across continents. Pendulums and spells. Pendulums. I don't know if we could do a whole episode on pendulums. There's not a we lot... Did like 15 minutes of it in the tool yeah we talked about it real briefly um actually we had more than one for pendulums we could do one on pendulums it might just be like a short one yeah all right or we could do we could do like uh divination that's not tarot and it could be like pendulums and like wax reading maybe like weird ones oh yeah we could do that alternative divination yeah um, mythology. <laughs> we do I a like lot. The practice with tarot and or oracle cards. Like, we have three of those. Uh, different types of witches. Ooh. That could be good or people could get real mad at us. <laughs> I feel like, uh, we're going to make a lot of people angry when we go through different types of witches because, unfortunately, I am super your bullshit kind of about a lot of those. <laughs> I am that way about a lot of them. And also, uh, I think people like to willingly forget that most of the organized religion, witchcraft movements of the early 20th, late 19th centuries were founded so that men could take sexual advantage of women multiple times. Yeah. All of them were. We covered a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, and I a new witch. Hmm. Someone said how to get started as a new witch. Didn't we kind of do that with ritual practice? Bro, I can't even remember what we did. <laughs> done a lot. Uh, I feel like we talked about a lot of these things. Yeah, I feel like... Someone said the intersection of pro wrestling and the paranormal. I feel like that's for you, Cassie. Who said that? Where is that one? I'm looking. I want to it's like that one. Yuri. You I should discuss the intersection of... Pro wrestling and the paranormal. All right. You know what? (laughs) It's not going to be next, but I think I can do that. I'm going to have nothing to offer, but I will sit and listen. I can tell you about all of the people who've died in the ring. That sounds depressing, Cassie. Why don't we? It's very depressing. I also had to look at a video of it, which made me have a lot of problems for a couple days when I was writing my paper. Someone else said magical fiction. Oh, no, they said they liked the Magical Fiction episode. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't want to do that again. (laughs) That was a lot. I had to remember so many books from childhood that I was like, why did I read this? (laughs) Who let me read this at the age that I read it was most of my question. (laughs) Okay. Well, the only one we haven't done specifically would be probably Pendulums. Or we could pick more gods and goddesses. I mean, herbalism is such a broad topic. I think you'd have to be... um, 
more specific. I wouldn't mind doing a whole episode on the poison path because I've been working with Henbane this month. We could do that. I could do that. Also, if you're interested in herbalism in a sense of like you want to learn about plants and the scientific like actual properties of plants because I'm sorry, but I'm not into like ascribing bullshit medical remedies things. Um, in Defense of Plants is amazing. It is a podcast by a dude who has a PhD in plant biology. And he goes through all of the legends with certain plants, like all of the things you can actually use them for. Like, it's awesome. You can also learn a lot about like endangered plants and which ones not to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, which I really like um, Sarah Ann Lawless's website, which I think now is Bane Folks Magic or something like that, Bane Folk. And I've uh, been reading her blog for a long time along with I've used a lot of her poison plants for stuff because a lot of those are really good for rheumatoid arthritis and like joint pain and stuff. Yes. I'm having fun picking. I got a sampler pack of all the different ones I ever wanted to work with and I'm picking one at a time and sort of like cataloging what it seems to help with. So this week has been all henbane. My favorite always is always mandrake. I love working with mandrake, but Henbane, and then I was going to move on to the Moonflower one and see which ones I like. Yeah, we could do that. So I know nothing about it, so it will be something fun to Google. I, I suggest starting with her website. She's got really, like, solid information. I don't know. I know a lot of herbalists around here. It's, like, the thing to do in Washington is to be an herbalist. <laughs> yeah, like, I have a book that I... I haven't started reading about herbalist plants that are native to the U.S. and, like, where they grow and what plants are near you. So I can read some of that, too, and maybe look up just the descriptions it has for some of those plants, and then we could get into it. I think it'd be good. Boys and plants? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Woo! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. All right. I mean, that's all I got. Uh... Our Instagram is at Pinecones and Moonstones with all the letters written out. Our Facebook is Pinecones and Moonstones. Uh, if you have joined us on Patreon, we have to say hi to Micah for joining us on Patreon. Hey, Micah. Uh, there is a link on our Patreon page that is visible only for patrons to our Facebook group. If you want to come hang out with us, uh, we got some fun stuff for you guys happening soon. Um. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash pinecones and moonstones. <laughs> Give us money. I didn't great. even know where that was. I had to ask you for <laughs> Oh, I was like, I thought it was just pinecones and moonstones. But now that I'm writing it out, that sounds wrong. So I'm going to have to look it up. So I, like, signed in and made sure that I sent you the right link. I just have to go back to where you sent it to me because I'll never remember any of that. But Yeah, so anybody who supports us on that is greatly appreciated because we just do this from the bottom of our hearts. And it's obviously super rigid and full of rules and order. <laughs> no chaos at all, ever. I mean, you, you, you're you listening to a podcast hosted by two Sagittariuses. Like, this is what you signed up for. It's hard to stay on task, okay? <laughs> like, especially right now when I'm cooped up inside like a nut. Oh I've been taking pictures of apartment bush blossoms. 
because I'm so bored so that every time when I take the trash out, I take one of the dogs and we walk all the way around the apartment complex and I use the portrait mode on my iPhone to take pretty blossom pictures because, oh my God. (laughs) There hasn't been a whole lot of blossoms out here, but I'm trying to find something new every time I go for a run. I've been going a different direction, but it's all just people's houses and like apartments and people smoking in the middle of the sidewalk outside their apartments. And I'm like, like, just, you know. Scoot closer that way or closer this way, but I got to run through here, so. Yeah, that's the worst. They want everyone here to start wearing masks, so we're trying to order some. That's, yeah, actually, I just, they did that CDC recommendation, and I'm trying to find someone who wouldn't mind trading. I don't mind paying for them if I can find it, but I can't even find any to buy. I have the ones that I use for my um jobs that I have where there's confirmed cases, but I save them for only when there's confirmed cases for my cleans, not for my suspected cases when I clean or for like, oh, somebody was sick and we sent them home and we need this whole place cleaned. So I don't wear masks for those because I only have so many. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I try to make sure that we don't go in before three hours in hopes that the droplets will no longer be in the air. But I'd like to get cloth ones just because I can put it over and, you know, reuse those as much as possible. Yeah. We've been trying to get them out there, seeing if anybody wants to trade. Other than that, the next time I see someone pop up some for sale, I'm going to have to get on them because I know it's hard to convince new people to do the job that I'm doing if you don't have these things because they're scared. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of rightly so. (laughs) Especially now that they're talking about all the asymptomatic carriers. Yep. So I think it would also make my kids feel better if I gave them masks. Working on it. If only I could figure out how to use that stupid sewing machine in my closet. At this rate, I'm tempted to, like, go buy some fabric the next time that we go get groceries. Just get some fabric. Because I have a sewing machine. I can make fabric ties. It'll take for fucking ever, but I can do it. (laughs) Yeah. Something. Yeah. Well... Yeah, it's depressing. I just want to go camping. I want to go in the woods. They closed all my woods. Yeah, because everybody's trying to flock there. Fucking California. No. <laughs> and Florida. Florida's just as bad. Yep. Anyway, when this is over, I'm going to go hang out in the woods for so long. You guys will never see me again. <laughs> just kidding. I'll get hungry. <laughs> anyway, yeah. all right. Till next time, don't be a dick. Eat your vegetables, especially Cassie. And stay hydrated. (laughs) So much. All right. Bye. Bye.